0: Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu/visit. The following podcast is based on actual X Files cases.
1: On the floor, Mordell!
0: Hey, it's Mel
2: Cooley. Modell was unarmed. He purposely drew Skinner's fire. For what possible reason? To protect someone. Linda Bowman. To take the fall for her. That's one hell of a plan, Mulder. The serial killer makes us believe that he's guilty, and in turn diverting the suspicion away from the real estate lady? Well, he had me going.
0: Welcome back to X-Files Truth. Today's file is Kitsunegari. Nagari. X-File number classified. The plot. In Lorton, Virginia, Robert Patrick Modell escapes from a prison hospital, after which the guard on duty dazedly says he had to go. Later... Skinner, Scully, and Mulder arrive at the prison and learn that Modell had suddenly woken up from his coma, induced by Mulder six months previously. Scully Wardley asks Mulder if he's deliberately playing Modell's game again by heading the investigation. What's Modell's condition?
2: Extremely awakened. Doctors here say that he can barely even walk. Oh yeah? Yeah, Mulder, I'm amazed he's even alive. A condition that we last saw him in, comatose with a bullet in the head. How did he recover? Well, apparently one day about six months ago, he simply woke up. It's unusual, but it's not unheard of. What about his brain tumor that was supposed to be killing him? It still is. Is there anybody on staff here we can talk to? He's a physical therapist. Mulder. What if Modell plans to pick up where he left off? Where does that leave you? You were his prime target. Should you even be heading this investigation? As opposed to
0: what? What's your point?
2: That it's exactly what he wants. That once again, you're playing his game.
0: The agents learn from Modell's physical therapist that the little sisters of Charity, who try to visit all the hospitalized inmates, have been seeing Modell. Modell calls the prison and talks to Mulder, who refuses to listen.
3: Agents, it's Modell. He's asking for you. We're running a trace right now. We just need thirty
2: seconds. All right, let me know what he's got. Yeah. Two words. It's alive. <laughs> I don't feel like playing your game right now, Modell. Touchy. Look, Mulder. There's something I need you to hear. Tell it to me in person, Modell. No, seriously. Now you listen to me Either you come back here on your own Or I drag your sorry ass back on the bumper of my car Time,
0: ten more seconds
2: When did you turn into Clint
0: Eastwood? Don't let him
2: rope you in Now stop talking like a tough guy And pay attention I know you're tracing this call I don't care I have something Mulder, hang up the I phone. need you to hear
0: Mulder, are you
2: going to? Listen? We got it
0: The call is traced to a sports shop in Virginia where a carbo bar wrapper is left on the counter. Later Modell is holding a picture of a young woman in a house where a man is covered in cerulean blue paint. The agents identify the dead man as Nathan Bowman who was the prosecutor at Modell's trial. Kitsunogari, the Japanese term for fox hunt, is written on the walls in blue paint in Japanese. A paint smudge leads the agents to Nathan's wife, Linda, a realtor who has an appointment with a Mr. Fox Mulder at a commercial property. Mulder uses his influence to affect the first two officers to arrive, but he is not found. When she arrives, Linda tells the agents that her husband had talked about Mulder. Mulder is confused as Modell's actions do not fit his previous modus operandi. He investigates a nearby building where he runs into Modell. Modell tries to get Mulder to listen to him and eventually breaks Mulder's resolve. What took you so long? Scully, I got him. Come quick. Where are you, Mulder? Hold on.
2: North side of Channel, second floor, some kind of company, some engineering company. We need to talk. Shut up, Modell. I said shut up there's something I need you shut to up or I will shoot you you son of a Mulder I will shoot you shut up you're going to listen to me you're going to listen to me Mulder I will shoot you listen Mulder Mulder what happened where's Modell? he had to go
0: Aldo later tells Scully that he does not believe Modell is on another killing spree and after an odd interview with Linda believes she's the killer and has the same powers as Modell.
2: I know Nathan was very proud of having prosecuted the case. He said this man, Modell, was extremely clever and dangerous and that he was a menace to society. Nathan mentioned that an FBI agent had ultimately shot him. Was that you? Yes. He said you crippled him and put him in a wheelchair. Nathan said it was too bad that you just didn't kill him. That it would have saved the taxpayers the cost of a trial. Your husband talked with you a lot about it. Well, as I said, he was proud. I guess he felt that that it was his brush with greatness. Is it possible that he could have mentioned you to Robert Modell? No, no, I I sincerely doubt it. You see, Nathan and I, we were only married two months. How long did you know? Well, (laughs) it was two months and two days why wait when it's true love? You never know how long you have. No, you don't. It's not like Nathan was impulsive or flighty. I don't want to paint him as that. He was true blue. Thank
0: you. Skinner suspends Mulder, but Mulder vows to prove his theory right. He talks with Modell's therapist again, who mentions that a nun from the Little Sisters of Charity had called him a conquered warrior. On a hunch Mulder tries to show her a picture of Linda. The phone rings and after stating she's with Mulder she sticks her hand into a fuse box and is fatally executed. At the FBI safe house a police car arrives with Model Madel enters the room that Linda is in and locks the door behind him. Mulder tells Scully the news of the therapist's death and urges her to keep Linda away from the phone. At the safe house, Skinner finds Linda's room door locked. He kicks the door down to find Modell and Linda, with Modell calmly saying that he has a gun. Without hesitation, Skinner shoots Modell and sees a gun in Modell's hand. But once he's on the ground, Skinner sees that his hand is curled into the shape of a gun.
2: On the floor, Mordell!
0: Hey, it's Mel Cooley.
2: On your face, do it now! I said now! I have a gun.
0: As Modell is taken away on a stretcher, Mulder arrives and thinks that Mordell forced Skinner to shoot him on purpose in order to protect Linda Bowman. Scully says that Linda has been taken home at which an annoyed Mulder leaves to see Modell in the hospital. A nurse enters the hospital room and tells Mulder that she has to change the patient's bandages. When Mulder leaves, it's revealed that the nurse is actually Linda Bowman wearing a piece of paper with the word nurse written on it. Linda then talks Modell's heart into stopping. As Modell is taken away on a stretcher, Mulder arrives and thinks that Madel forced Skinner to shoot him on purpose in order to protect Linda Bowman. Mulder notices the nurse paper has 214 Channel Avenue on the back. That night, Mulder visits the address and finds Scully pointing a gun at him, and claiming to be controlled by Linda, she kills herself. Mulder hears footsteps behind him and turns around to see Linda Bowman pointing a gun at him. Linda states personal information about Mulder revealing herself to indeed be Scully despite what Mulder sees. She fires a shot at a figure moving behind Mulder and then he sees Scully in front of him and a wounded Linda behind him on the floor. In Skinner's office, Linda Bowman's brain scan shows an advanced temporal lobe tumor just like her fraternal twin Robert Modell. The two had been separated at birth. Mulder has misgivings about nearly killing Scully and feels that he ultimately lost Linda's game. Hand in your field report. And now for my field report for Kitsunagari. I liked Kitsunagari better than I remembered. It was definitely a good episode, and it was really good to see Robert Mordell again. I love when they do these sequels like they did with Tombs and For a Squeeze and some other sequel type episodes. But I really enjoy these mind control episodes. Blood is another one um, off the top of my head that we actually kind of get a sequel to. Not really a sequel, but uh, Kill Switch is kind of like a, a Blood Part 2. But it's in the mind control genre, which I really love all the mind control episodes that we get from the X-Files. And this is another one, because you can never really tell what's happening. Especially when Robert Mordell and now his sister, kind of just by the way they speak, make you see things that aren't there. And it kind of makes you think in real life, you know, how much of that actually happens. I mean, maybe not to the degree that we see in the X-Files, but, you know, it's almost like a live hypnosis or something. I don't know. But just the concept of it is fascinating. And it was good to see Modell again here. We also get to see Skinner, even though this isn't a mythology episode. But he's not exclusively in mythology episodes, but it's probably, not 90%. But it's always good to see Skinner in the Monster of the Week episodes to give it that kind of continuing thread throughout the whole series. I definitely liked Pusher better than Kitsunagari, but Kitsunegari is definitely a good episode. Like I said, it's a monster of the week. But for the sequelizer, you could definitely have a sequel for this. Even though his sister is shot, I don't. Might be pushing it if he has more relatives that have the same power. But hey, if two people have that same power, then three definitely do. So it's it's got a potential for a sequel, and it wouldn't even have to be specifically with just his family. That could be a power that you know people have all over the world. But on my 1 to 10 scale, I would probably give a maybe an 8, something like that. It was really good. I would definitely watch it more than once. So I'd give it an 8. And another thing I really love about the X-Files is they always seem to put a stamp on things that in the future, if you ever come across those things or hear people talking about them, they're automatically associated with the X-Files, even though the X-Files didn't invent them. And in this case, cerulean blue. You know, you can never hear cerulean blue and not think of Robert Patrick Modell. You know, so. And they used it even in this one too. Cerulean blue was the paint that covered the uh, her husband. And the X Files do that all throughout their seasons and series. Like when that fluke creature came up through the that Portageon. You know, a lot of people kind of associate that. You know, or or whenever they use one, they'll think of that episode. Or just, you know, on and on. There's a a ton of examples. But Cerulean Blue, that's the X-Files color. It's just automatic now, you know. And how many shows after the X-Files put the word files in their show name? You know, from Forensic Files to UFO Files, Alien Files. I mean, there's just so many different episodes that, you know, they'll stick the word files in there and it's just automatically connects them somehow with the X-Files. I mean, the X-Files is really ingrained in our culture. More than people probably realize. But that's about everything I have for Kitsunagari. Now let's head down to the chem lab and see what Agent Angela has for the chemistry between Mulder and Scully for Kitsunagari.
1: Hello, Agents. Mulder and Scully get called in to investigate Modell, the cop killer who had to go from the high-security psychiatric facility, where he'd previously been in a mostly vegetative state. Robert Patrick Modell apprehended as the Ronin killer the first time around from the intense Pusher episode. This time, Mulder and Scully are in great form at the briefing with the rest of the law enforcement squad that's been called in. As far-fetched as it may sound to this group, our heroes know this psycho backwards and forwards, presenting a united front as far as what everyone has to do, if they want any chance of catching him. Echoing Mulder's recent concern for her emotional well-being in Emily, now the roles are reversed, somewhat. Scully now expresses it for him, wanting to be sure that he's okay, chasing after the pusher and being his worthy adversary the second time around. Considering Mulder was forced to involuntarily hold a gun to his own head the first time, he assures her, and us the audience, that he's fine, and more determined than ever to get Modell before the killer forces his will on someone else.
2: Listen to me. Now you listen to me. Either you come back here on your own or I drag your sorry ass back on the bumper of my car. Time.
1: Ten more seconds. At the infamous Cerulean Blue Paint murder scene, Mulder and Scully learn from a translator that the characters crudely painted on the wall mean Kitsunegari, or Fox Hunt, meaning of course that Modell is on a hunt for Fox Mulder. Great. Soon, Mulder and Scully uncover the connection between Modell and Mrs. Bowman, the late prosecutor's wife, but not before they have one of their skeptic versus believer face-offs over what Modell may or may not be capable of. This is becoming a pretty well-worn groove by this point, considering Scully's known since the nail-biter end of Pusher what this human monster of the week can do to his victims. The most unsettling part of this is Mulder's deadpan. he had to go. Thankfully, all Mulder gets is the humiliation of being forced to let Modell get away. Despite that, and the arguments from both Scully and A.D. Skidder, Mulder's the one who makes the connection, that Modell and Linda Bowman are in fact brother and sister, and she has the same ability. In another role reversal that echoes Pusher, Linda makes it appear that Scully shoots herself. This has to be the most intense scene in this whole episode, to me. The woman who appeared to be Linda changes back into Scully, and the real Linda is the one who ends up getting shot. Even though Mulder prevailed, as Skinner points out, I think it's safe to say he won't get that image of Scully lying in a pool of blood out of his head for a good long while. Until next time, this is Agent Angela. Counterintelligence. Inside Information.
3: This is Agent Stone with Counterintelligence with X5.8 Kitsungari. Original air date January 4th, 1998. Written by Vince Gilligan and Tim Minear. Directed by Daniel Sackheim. This man has a unique ability to force his will upon others, to push his victims into hurting or killing themselves. In this episode, Mulder and Scully search for the infamous killer Robert Pusher Modell, a human with the ability to force his will onto others after he escapes from prison. The agents soon discover that he is not their only concern, he has a sister, and she is just as capable of mind control as he is. Kitsungare serves as a sequel to the third season episode, Pusher, and this episode's title means fox hunt in Japanese. The episode was written by Tim Minear and Vince Gilligan, and Minear's original idea for the episode involved a convicted criminal who happened to be an atheist. While in prison, he would have heard the voice of God commanding him to kill a truly evil man, and then he would have suddenly found himself mystically transferred out of the prison. Although the police would be after him, only Mulder would believe he was working for the greater good. Muneer noted that, I pitched it and I was going to do it eventually until we found ourselves at a point in the year where we needed a script really fast. Executive producer Frank Spotnitz suggested to Muneer that the convicted atheist should actually be Robert Medell from the third season episode, Pusher. After this was decided, Muneer put aside the word of God story as it was called, teamed up with Gilligan, and the two wrote the final script. Robert Wisden, who had played the original role, was available for the episode. In addition to his appearance on The X-Files, he had also appeared on the Chris Carter-created series Millennium. Dana Scarwood was cast as Modell's sister. The body of Nathan Bowman, Linda's husband, was created by drenching an in-house dummy with the correct shade of paint. The scenes filmed to look as if they were at the Lorton Penitentiary Cafeteria were... Actually, filmed at a former hospital storage facility. In order to dress the set, the structure had to be completely cleared of debris and garbage. This required that several old pumps' housings be jackhammered into smithereens. The series hired two Japanese translators to yield a proper translation of the phrase fox hunt for kitsungari due to the fact that fox hunting is not readily rendered in Japanese. This is also the first episode in which Mulder's mother, Tina, is named. There aren't too many sequels in the world of The X-Files, and even fewer of them are planned well in advance. We didn't set out to write a pusher sequel, says co-writer Vince Gilligan, referring to the Season 4 episode in which Robert Modell first appeared. We were facing a looming deadline, and Tim and Nir was scheduled to do the episode. He was looking around for ideas, and Chris had an idea about a guy who everybody thinks is evil, but Mulder, being Mulder, realizes that this is a guy that's actually trying to accomplish something good. It was sort of a nebulous idea. We thought of a scene where a guy escapes from some maximum security institution, a former serial killer or something, and everybody thinks he's out to kill again. It suddenly just occurred to us one day when we were trying to make that work. Why don't we take a character we've already seen and we've got some history with, like, Pusher. Gilligan attributes the success of the episode, at least partially, to the savvy eye of director Dan Sackheim. I enjoyed working with him a lot, Gilligan says. He was fun to work with. He's a demon for details. We had a very long, what we call a tone meeting, when the director and the writer sit down and the two go through the script page by page. He wanted to know what I wanted for every last little bit of business, and he also asked a lot of logic questions. He really keeps a writer on his or her toes by saying, why does this character do this? Why is he thinking this? He's just very smart that way, and I think he's got a good visual sense. Now, to not try to rehash some of what we've already covered, you can go back to the episode Pusher that we've previously covered to find out more about Patrick Modell, telepathy and the abilities that go along with that as for now i'd say this case is open so the final word on kitsungari then how come i feel like i lost
2: On out
1: there. What's out there for Kitsunigari? First review I picked this time is from Musings of an X-File. It reads in part, it makes me sad to admit it because its precursor, Pusher, is one of my favorite episodes of all time, but Kitsunigari is one of those lost opportunities that begins with a lot more promise than it fulfills in the end. I hate to say it, but this is one of those episodes I enjoy less with time. When I say it begins with promise, I'm referring mostly to the teaser, because by the time this episode begins in earnest, our ears are stuffed so full with so much background and exposition on Mulder and Scully's history with Modell, that it's a wonder there's any room left for us to hear the rest of the story. It doesn't help that the explanation for how Modell made it off his deathbed sounds arbitrary, he simply woke up, doesn't even attempt to veil the fact that his character has been resurrected for no deeper reason than to bring back a popular villain. He's not here again to serve the development of the characters or the series. Now, I love his character, so that doesn't bother me. Much. But the fact that Modell has no real reason to exist, let alone a solid motive to drive his character forward in the plot, is one of this episode's main weaknesses, and it becomes more obvious the further along we get. We're supposed to infer that Modell is trying to stop his vengeful twin sister from taking the same path to destruction he did, but why? Last time we saw Modell, when he was conscious anyway, he was ready and willing, even eager, to go down in a blaze of glory. You're telling me that wasting away as a human vegetable in prison lessened that desire to prove himself as a warrior rather than increased it? Another problem is Modell's sister. I've seen the actress, Diana Scarwood, on a couple of episodes of Law and & Order, and I know she's pretty good. But something about the chemis- chemistry between her character and Modell's, and worse, her character and Mulder's, lacks a spark. Modell and Mulder were so good together in Pusher that you almost felt they could have been friends under a different set of circumstances. Linda Bowman antagonizes Mulder, but without the same charm and aplomb. I realize she couldn't and shouldn't be an exact repeat of Modell but she should at least rival him in interest if she's going to displace him as the main villain of the story. Bowman is cunning and devious, whereas Modell was bold and blatant, but it's his very boldness that's endearing. Boogeymen who walk steadily towards you are scarier than the ones that wait for you in the dark. Modell is a hard act to follow regardless, and unfortunately, chemistry is also almost impossible to create, Even so, I think this still could have worked well if the ending scene played out a little differently. Now, I love any moment where Mulder thinks that Scully is dead or dying. Give me Mulder dealing with Scully angst any day. But it's hard to accept Linda Bowman as Scully, even though we know Mulder's mind is being messed with. It would have actually been better, in my opinion, if we had watched Mulder threatening to shoot Scully as Scully. No one can pull off Scully except Gillian Anderson, which is why that moment lacks some of the emotional punch it could have had. Maybe if the episode had ended on that note, I would remember it more fondly. So what do I think? I agree that any Mulder angst over Scully being possibly dead packs an emotional punch that hasn't lessened over time. I also think that, yeah, while the character of Linda Bowman is portrayed pretty well, some parts of the story involving her could have been a bit more suspenseful, and or moved along a little bit faster. My second review excerpts are from the AV Club. I've written before about how much I dig Pusher, the season three X-Files episode that first introduced us to Robert Patrick Modell. I used it as a starting point for my Gateway to Geekery article about the show, and I stand by that. As much as I'm willing to stand by anything I talk about in the gateway, I find writing those a terrifying exercise in realizing just how little I know about any of the art I love to tell the truth. And I also reviewed it last summer, back when Todd and I first restarted this project. I gave it an A-minus back then, and it might have deserved the full A. I hope I didn't just blow the lid off the grading process right here. Anyway, what I'm saying is, it's a good episode, and Model was a great monster of the week for the show, so I'm looking forward to rewatching Kitsunagari, which I don't think I've seen since it first aired. The X-files hardly ever does sequels to its non-mythology episodes. The only example I can think of is Squeeze and Tombs from the first season, and even though we thought we saw the last of Modell, he was a zombie dying of a brain tumor in a hospital penitentiary, there's still enough wiggle room to bring him back. Maybe this is a way to revitalize the mythology, by creating a sense of a larger world on the show that isn't just aliens and government conspiracies, but monsters that don't just disappear once their initial plot lines are resolved. Or maybe it's just a sign of creative exhaustion, I can't tell you for sure, but I can't tell you that, some really great images and intense sequences aside, Kitsunigari isn't anywhere near as good as his predecessor. In fact, it's a bit of a mess. The story repeats many of the same basic ideas from Pusher, like how the hell do you catch someone who can control minds without adding anything new to them? And Scully is at her most frustratingly skeptical and close-minded. The episode never really justifies its existence. It tries to provide us with a new angle on Modell by giving him a twin sister. They were separated at a very young age. But apart from being a ridiculously contrived twist, we never really get any sense of how Modell stands with his sister, or who she is, or how this relates to Modell's obsession with Mulder. Plus, it makes that horrible mistake that so many sequels seem to stumble over, by bringing back a great villain and making him less. At one point during the hunt, Modell allows Mulder to catch up with him. The two have a chat, and we're not privy to the meat of the conversation, but once it's over, Mulder's vague doubts about the offness of the situation solidify into outright theories. Given Modell's abilities, and he and Mulder's history, it's not ridiculous that Scully worry about her partner's judgment might be in pair, except the way it's handled is forced. And obviously, an effort by Vince Gilligan, who wrote Pusher, and Tim Minear to create extra obstacles for Mulder to give more substance to the plot. Mulder doesn't seem irrational or unhinged when he questions Model's motives and wonders if there might be more than going on than meets the eye. He never suggests any course of action that would endanger anyone, and he certainly never says they should let Model go or ease up on the hunt. He just raises some issues, which makes a fair amount of logical sense, like, the whole model isn't killing any one thing, up to and including the fact that he doesn't kill Mulder when he was when he had the drop on him, which is ridiculous. But we'll get to that. And Scully and Skinner both freak out to the point where Skinner orders Mulder to hand over his gun and take the day off. As is, this is a well-shot episode that goes through a lot of the familiar motions of a monster of the week entry: weird assaults, Mulder getting suspicious, Scully doubting him. She sort of acts like her brother this whole episode, which I guess is continuity and a confrontation in which Mulder and Scully's trust for each other is tested, albeit in a somewhat off-kilter fashion. Linda pushes Mulder into thinking Scully has shot herself, and when the real Scully shows up, he sees her as Linda. It's disorienting, and not entirely in a good way. But any thought at all reveals how little any of this makes sense, and overall, this is just a disappointingly apt example of how sequels often fail, trying to create new directions in a story that was already largely perfect already. My two cents? I like this review's take on the differences between the modell in Pusher and the modell in this not-quite-as-good sequel overall. I also agree that it's disorienting near the end when Mulder faces Scully as Linda, but I think it is in a good way, far as suspense goes. Compared to most of the episode, that scene stands out for that very reason. My final word on Kitsunigari. He had to go. <laughs> Character profiles.
2: But these aren't humans, really.
1: profiles in character. From all the look of it, I'd say they were alien.
3: This week's profile Robert Patrick Modell, also known as Pusher. He was a rather ordinary man who, through an accident of nature, developed mind control abilities that allowed him to work as a contract killer. His title, pusher, comes from the fact that he was able to push his will onto others, taking control of their actions. Dana Scully summarized Modell as a little man who wishes he were someone big. In reviewing Modell's life history, the prevailing adjective used by FBI agent Fox Mulder was average. After graduating from a minor community college, he joined the U.S. military, applying first to become a Navy SEAL, or, failing that, an Army Green Beret. Though he tested reasonably intelligent, he was quickly washed out of both programs and ended up a supply clerk at Fort Bragg. After a general discharge, Modell later applied to the FBI, but was flunked on the basis of psychological screenings, which classified him as an acutely ego-centered having no regard whatsoever for other people's feelings or welfare, and also extremely paranoid towards government institutions and authority in general. Another disqualifying factor was his need to invent grandiose details about himself that were quickly exposed as lies. For instance, he claimed to have been combat trained by ninjas in Japan and Guka commandos in Nepal, when in fact he had never traveled outside the United States. Before he came to the attention of Mulder and Scully, his last recorded employment was as a clerk in a convenience store. His life changed when he developed a brain tumor that endowed him with telepathic abilities. He found that he was able to influence other people's minds, usually through the use of his voice. Using this power consumed a great deal of his metabolic energy, and he had to compensate by consuming high volumes of energy bars and protein shakes. He also had to take medication for epilepsy, which he developed as another side effect of the tumor. Modell began working as a freelance hitman, advertising himself in various martial arts magazines under the pseudonym Osu, the Japanese word for push. He carried out 14 assassinations, all of which were ruled suicides because he was able to convince the victim to kill him or herself. Although his tumor was operable, Modell was so enamored of his new power that he refused medical treatment even as his health deteriorated. When he was only a short length away from death, he decided to go out in a blaze of glory, and called the FBI to confess to his murders, setting off a manhunt that eventually caught him. In keeping with his self-aggrandizing fantasies, Modell liked to read Japanese philosophy, especially warrior codes like Bushido, and started to imagine himself as fearless and invincible. Also, in keeping with his view, he sought out a worthy adversary to fight and fixed on Mulder. After leading Mulder and Scully on a cat-and-mouse chase during which he killed or maimed several other FBI agents with his abilities, he lured Mulder into an evacuated hospital where he used his abilities to force Mulder to play Russian roulette. After firing empty chambers at Modell and himself, Mulder was forced to turn the gun on Scully, but he was able to resist the mind control long enough for Scully to activate the fire alarm, breaking Modell's concentration, and hence his control over Mulder, and then Mulder turned the gun on Modell and shot him in the chest. Modell was hospitalized in a coma from which he was not expected to awaken before he succumbed to the effects of the tumor. However, he did regain consciousness and was incarcerated in a seemingly vegetative state, having never regained normal brain function. About two years after his encounter with Mulder and Scully, he secretly regained both his cognitive function and his unique abilities and escaped from prison. Mulder and Scully were tasked to hunt him down, but eventually realized that Modell was actually trying to stop his fraternal twin sister, Linda Bowman, from killing everyone associated with his conviction, including the two FBI agents. As his sister, Bowman developed a brain tumor and the same persuasive abilities as Modell, and was secretly motivated to take revenge on her brother's behalf. In the mistaken belief that Bowman was a target for Modell, she was placed in protective custody and Modell was shot by FBI assistant director Walter Skinner as he was trying to confront her. While Modell was in the hospital, Bowman visited him alone and performed a mercy killing by using her power to persuade her brother to stop his heart. Bowman was later apprehended by Mulder and Scully. As a result of his brain tumor, Modell was capable of mentally dominating people just by speaking to them. Saying, go home, would make the listener actually go home. The power of persuasion, Modell's most displayed power, was his ability to enthrall his victims into performing whatever actions he desired by telling them what to do. This power was used to make a police officer set himself on fire with gasoline while fully aware and force Moller into a game of Russian roulette. Personal Actualization, an extension of his persuasion ability was that Modell could influence a person's body into believing it whatever effect Modell described was real. For example, when he spoke with Agent Frank Burst over the phone, describing clogged arteries in Greece, then vocalizing a heart complication gave Burst a fatal heart attack. Illusions. Using his telepathy, he could cause a person to perceive objects as something completely different, An example would be when he had a store clerk believe he was holding a snake when he was really holding a baseball bat and made a police officer believe another officer to be Modell himself. Writing pass on a brown sheet of paper and stuffing it into a coat pocket gave Modell clearance from an FBI security guard as he thought it was genuine. He could make people unable to perceive certain objects like he did in his first appearance making a truck disappear from a police officer's vision. In addition, he created the illusion of holding a pistol by saying, I have a gun. Modell did have a few weaknesses. One was noise. Since his telepathy is based on his target's hearing, if his voice is blocked out by a loud enough noise, he is powerless. It is noted that when Scully pulled the fire alarm while Mulder was under Modell's control, Mulder was able to regain control of himself the moment the alarm sounded. Metabolism. Using his powers takes a lot of energy for Adele, so he was forced to eat energy bars and drink coffee in order to continuously use his powers. And finally, his brain tumor. The source of his powers is his brain tumor, which is fatal and is slowly killing him. <laughs>
2: Checked your email?
0: I found these in my email this morning. And now the female with the emails, Agent Angela.
1: Hey everyone. There's been some chatter I've been following on both Facebook and Twitter about the new X Files Cold Cases audiobook. Reviews are mixed. Some really like it, some others think it could have been better. Gigi at Trulia Venturas on Twitter points this out. Characters having to narrate out actions really grated on me. It needs some sort of narrator, when we don't have visual cues, too easy to get lost. Sabrina at S M P Com wonders, was David and Jillian in the same studio, because the convo didn't have that Mulder and Scully feel. Hmm, interesting. I love audiobooks, and I'm always listening to one downloaded on the Overdrive app from my local library. I don't know if I'm going to cough up the monthly fee for Audible, but for those of you who have, and who have listened to The X-Files Cold Cases, what are your thoughts on it? Tweet us, Facebook us, email us, or drop by our website and let us know. I also shared on our Facebook page a link to David Duchovny's take on the project. He said in a recent interview, Since we started 24 years ago, there have been so many iterations of the show, and so many different kinds of expressions of the show. I remember way back when, I was so pleased that there was a comic book, like, oh my god, it's a comic book for the X-Files, now I can retire. Um, not quite retired yet, are we, David? And we fans couldn't be more pleased. That's pretty much what I have for this time around. If you've been enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you'd leave us a star rating or a review on iTunes, it doesn't have to be long, that's definitely what helps us the most. And, of course, you can get in contact with us on Twitter, Facebook, or through our website, exilestruth.com. And remember, the truth is still out there, and it's never been more dangerous.
3: Next time, on X-Files Truth, in a blight-stricken farm town, a series of murders is attributed to child abuse. The real cause, however, lies deeper.
0: kitsunagari and we wanted to thank all you guys for listening to us all these years and supporting us and especially the new people a special hi to my star wars crew over at line how you guys doing and again i can't do this without agent angela agent stone and agent m for all they do for this podcast it's incredible they're so devoted to the X Files and it makes this really possible here. If you want to find out about the music that we used, just go to xfilestruth.com. We post it all there along with all the other content that we referenced in the episodes. And don't forget to send us an MP3 recording of you telling us anything you want to say about X Files related topics just attach it to an email and send it to xfilestruth at live.com and that about wraps it up for Kitsunagari we'll see you guys the first Sunday of next month for Schizogeny. did you like that one puppies? I made this 20th Century
3: Fox. Hello again, this is Agent Stone. I just want to share everyone a story. Um, Recently, I had the chance to meet William B. Davis, otherwise known as the Cigarette Smoking Man, or CGB Spender. Uh, He was at a local horror movie convention, Where I Live. Uh, Also in appearance were Mitch Pileggi, uh, Director Skinner, and Brian Thompson, the Alien Bounty Hunter. Uh, Unfortunately, I only met uh, The Smoking Man because the autographs and amounts for pictures were just so overpriced in my opinion that I really didn't want to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars just to talk to somebody for a couple of minutes, get an autographed picture, and be on my way. Um, meeting the cigarette smoking man and getting a picture with him cost me sixty bucks alone. It already cost me thirty-five to get into the show, so you see where I'm going. Anyhow, I felt it was really necessary to meet Mr. Davis because uh, if you've been listening to our show for quite some time. Several years ago, when William B. Davis uh, wrote and published his autobiography, the X-Files Truth staff had the uh, lucky and fortunate opportunity to interview him over the phone for, I think, what was actually over an hour-long interview. Anyhow, uh, I was able to meet him. I wore my exclusive Fright Rags Cigarette smoking man T-shirt Uh He was dressed Fairly dapper In a suit And Button up No tie Um When I walked up to him I said I guess I wore the Right shirt today And he didn't even realize What I was talking about He hadn't even noticed the shirt And Then he finally looked at my T-shirt And he's like Oh I didn't notice I see that He's like yes I think you did Um so anyway, he was very pleasant. I spoke with him for a few minutes. I had told him about uh, the X Files Truth podcast and how we were lucky enough to have interviewed him when his book came out. And unfortunately, he didn't seem to recall that that had ever happened. Um, I'm not sure if he does so many of those things that you know they all just all sort of blend together, or if unfortunately maybe he's getting to that age where trivial things such as that just don't come to him very often. But either way, I was still gracious in my uh, being able to meet him where we were able to talk. And he, he seemed generally enthused to be speaking to me. He smiled a lot and everything. Uh, the really funny thing about the whole incident was, is you know, if you usually go to these cons... The uh, celebrity attendees usually have um, some sort of handler, if you will, there. Uh, Someone to collect the money, maybe take photos for the fans, that sort of thing. Um, Sometimes they bring their own. Sometimes they have appointed ones by the con itself. In this case, I really couldn't tell. But he had a young, young woman with him as his handler who looked like she should have been on the set of a triple x movie um just had the shortest skirt on and the most low cut top i mean i was actually kind of taken aback i was like whoa okay so that was kind of funny uh she didn't really speak about anything she just took my money and just was like whatever but it was still really cool to meet uh, william b davis because i don't know when i'll ever have that opportunity again um but like i said I, I had to pass on brian thompson and mitch peleggi because i didn't have another hundred plus bucks that i needed to drop perhaps again in the future anyhow there you go there's my story